Do you like happy endings? If you've invested time in a, in a film or a, or a book or a drama series, do you want it to reach its conclusion and basically for the, for the heroes to live happily ever after, for the big bad wolf never to be seen again and the three little pigs to, to roam free? I, I know that I do. I, I like I like happy endings. I'm not sure you saw about my daughter. Yesterday she, she wrote a story and she showed it to me and it ended up with... 400 people being killed. That was kind of how, how it finished on a ship. I think she'd been learning about the Mary Rose during the week and maybe that was, that was kind of playing into it. I, that's what I'm kind of hoping anyway. But, but most of us, most of us like happy endings, don't we? We like a happily ever after. And I'm sure many of us know that the big story of the Bible, that the story that runs all the way through the, the, the Bible, really the, the story of the Lord Jesus, it has the most wonderful happily ever after at the end. And the, and the book of Isaiah that we've been looking at over these uh, past few weeks, um, it, it speaks of that, of that happy ending that is, that is still to come, that happily ever after. In chapter uh, 35, just want to flick back if you've got your Bibles open, we looked at this uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we read about the, the joy of God's redeemed people. Isaiah speaks of people who have been kind of purchased, redeemed, brought by God. People who, are, who will, one day he promises, will, will live with him and be, be satisfied in every, in every way. As verse 10 says of chapter 35, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That, that's the, the happy ending that all of us who are in Christ are heading for. But the book of Isaiah doesn't just speak about God's, God's great final <laughs> happily ever after, the big ending. It also speaks of things happening in the, the generation of Isaiah in history, as it were. And as we've been looking at that, we've seen that they, they form what, what's happening there, that they're linked to the, to the big story, that they're, they're pointing us forward, that they're part, they're a, a small part, a small story of a much bigger story. And in today's section, these uh, two chapters we're going to look at today, I think this part of the story, it raises and, and answers an important question for us all. So question actually that, that new song that we were singing may be uh, provoked. It's this question, should, should God's people today expect lots of happy endings as they journey towards the final great happy ending in the future? To use that, those verses we read in chapter 35, for Christians today, how much joy and gladness or sorrow and sighing should we be expect before Isaiah 35 is finally fulfilled in the future. And I think we'll see as we look at these chapters that although those of us who are Christians can, can and should know joy and gladness now, we should also expect sorrow and sighing before we reach that happily ever after. 
There's still a battle with sin. There's still sickness and death. There's still an enemy of God's people. And therefore, I think we're going to see that sorrow and sighing should be expected. So with that in mind, let's uh, look at these two chapters and see the realities of living before the happily ever after has arrived. And the first thing we see is this, that death can't be avoided. Death can't be avoided. Look down at uh, verse 1 of chapter 38. It comes as a, as a bit of a shock. <laughs> if I were a, a filmmaker, uh, I'd probably end the film of Isaiah at the end of chapter 37. That would be a good place, I think, to, to end the story. The, the story of Isaiah, those of us that have been here as we've looked at this uh, book of the Bible, it's been full of, full of the words of Isaiah, promising, promising God's judgment on the people because they've, they've rejected him, rebelled against him. Promises that the, the army of Assyria is going to be used by God to, to, to judge the people. But alongside those warnings, the Lord has promised that if the people just trust in him, he'll protect them. He'll, he'll restore them. A, a remnant, a faithful group of people will know God's rescue. And in chapters 36 and 37 that we looked at last week, we see how that story is actually played out in history. The Assyrian army captures all the cities of Judah apart from Jerusalem, just as the Lord had promised. And then with the Assyrian army poised to attack King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, they, they listen to the voice of Isaiah. And King Hezekiah puts his trust in the Lord. He persuades the people to do the same. And we read last week how as they slept, as they slept having trusted in the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes out and defeats the Assyrian army. And that the chapter ends, chapter 37, it ends not just with the people kind of no longer feeling the, the, the threat of the army of Assyria, it ends with Sennacherib, the, the king of Assyria, being killed in his own temple by his own children. It's quite a turnaround. The man who looked so powerful and strong just a little time before, he's finished. But God's people are safe and secure. That, is a, that, that would be a good place to end the story, wouldn't it? <laughs> if it was just a film, that, that would be a happy ending. The, the, the baddies have gone, and uh, we might think the story's going to end. We're going to read the beginning of chapter 38. Uh, the people rejoiced and celebrated God's victory, and Hezekiah lived in peace and died at a ripe old age. But instead, this is the very next verse that we read. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die and you will not recover. It's a shock, isn't it? <laughs> Hezekiah's got a terminal illness. Get, get your house in order, Isaiah says. Get, get, get ready to, to die. Make arrangements. Make preparations. 
death cannot be avoided. Let's be honest, it seems a little unfair, doesn't it? After all he's done, <laughs> been a faithful and a brave king, he's not been typical of the kings before him or after him. He, he, he hints a little of that unfairness, doesn't he, that he feels as he prays in verse 2. I've, I've walked before you wholeheartedly, devotion. And now this. No wonder he weeps bitterly. In, uh, in the, the kind of the song that we read of in verses uh, 10 to 14, in the, the first part, 10 to, 10, 10 to 14, he, he, he reflects on the, the unfairness of death. Verse 10, in the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. Just as thieves take what doesn't belong to them. He, he feels he's, that death is robbing him of his years of, of opportunity to, to serve the Lord. Years that he feels rightfully belong to him. My auntie, she died at a relatively young age, over 25 years ago now. She was a Christian, she was a gentle, kind lady, overflowing with love. And at a funeral, um, at the graveside, I can still remember, as she was, as she was buried, I can still remember what a man said. Uh, I don't, I don't, he wasn't a, a family member, I don't really know him particularly well, I don't know if he was a, a, a believer or not. But I can remember what he said with tears in his, running down his face. Why is it that the good die young. He said it in quite a loud voice. Why is it that the go- only the good die young? He was wrong, of course. It isn't <laughs> just the good that die young, is it? But sometimes death does come to a person and it seems particularly hard to understand. That let's be honest, it, it seems unfair at times. Matthew Henry, the, the Christian writer, he once wrote this Neither man's men's greatness nor their goodness will exempt them from the arrests of sickness and death. We might not want to dwell on it, I'm sure we don't. We might try to forget that it's not a reality. We might act as if it would never happen to us. We might act, I think, even more as if it would never happen to those that we love. But sickness and death cannot be avoided. Secondly, though, we see that for Hezekiah, at least, death is delayed. After his prayer, King Hezekiah gets another visit from Isaiah with another message from the Lord. His prayer has been heard. God has seen his tears. And the Lord grants Hezekiah a short reprieve. Death is delayed. He's told that that he will live for a further 15 years in verse 5. Now, it's worth saying that we shouldn't take that to mean that everyone who's, who's sick, everyone who's terminally ill and prays to the Lord, that they will recover. 
It's a, it's a description of what happened here. It isn't a prescription for what will always happen. In fact, let's note that the unusualness of what happens is indicated by the fact that the Lord gives a sign. It involves a, a shadow in the sun moving the wrong way, a shadow going in the wrong direction. That, that's a pretty spectacular sign, isn't it? It's, it's a spectacular sign to say that God will do what he has promised. I think it reminds us this isn't a kind of a normal thing. The promise of 15 more years for Hezekiah and the promise of continued deliverance from the army of Assyria. Those things will happen. Yeah, God's response speaks of his compassion, reminds us of his attentiveness to our prayers, but more than anything, I think it speaks to us of the fact that God keeps his promises. And in that regard, verse 5 is significant. If you just look down at verse 5, this is what uh, the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. A little reminder there that Hezekiah, he's, he's a descendant of King David. He's from the same kingly line. And we need to remind ourselves, because the people then probably didn't need reminding of this, we need to remind ourselves that God had made a promise to King David. God had promised that one of his descendants would, would rule and would rule in such a way that he would have an everlasting kingdom. And the Lord promised to, to, to keep that, 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 um, that promise to David. That, that was certainly in view. If you just look back at the, uh, what we read at the, towards the end of the last chapter, verse 35 of chapter 37, remember this, I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. little reminder again there, I've, I've made a promise to David. I've made a promise to David. I'm going I'm to protect his kingly line. That these people of Judah, they're not going to be wiped out completely. I'm going to keep my promise to David. Which is likely why Hezekiah's death is delayed. Because at this moment in time, Hezekiah had no heir to succeed him. The kingly line that had flowed down from King David and reached King Hezekiah, that the line that would one day lead to King Jesus, could theoretically have ended here, were it not for God's intervention. When Hezekiah eventually did die, we're told that Manasseh, um, his son succeeding him, who was 12 years old when he came to the throne. We read that in 2 Chronicles. So he was born within the, the 15 years that God gave as, a, as an extension to Hezekiah's life. How would you feel if you knew you had 15 years to live? God guarantees you 15 years. I guess it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, some people might say, yeah, I'll, I'll take it, depending on how old they are. Others would think, no, I want more than that. Hezekiah seems quite happy with the delay that's given to him. He, he sings for joy. Verses 15 to, to 20, verse 20, the Lord will save me. We will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Hezekiah is happy with his 15-year extension to his life. 
But if we think now there's, <laughs> this is the, the place of the happily ever after, well, we're in for another shock. Because in chapter 39, we see that Hezekiah isn't just subject to sickness and death, but like so many, like so many of us, like the people of Judah, he's prone to sin. In particular, the sin of pride. Chapter 39, we see that pride comes before the fall. As Hezekiah gets out of his sick bed, starts to plan his next 15 years, he gets a, uh, gets a gift, gets a message from the, the prince of Babylon. He also gets representatives, come and visit him, see how he's doing. What a nice surprise, coming all the way to wish him a, a, a speedy recovery. All the way from, from Babylon, that, that growing superpower in the region. And Hezekiah, he welcomes the visitors and he shows them, verse 2, he shows them everything. He shows them everything. It wasn't just that Hezekiah was a great tour guide wanting to look after his guests. It was that Hezekiah was proud. It may be it's implied in the text here, but in, in 2 Chronicles 20, we told this, King Hezekiah, at this moment, King Hezekiah's heart was proud. King Hezekiah's heart was proud. So when the visitors arrived, he was, look, look at this city. Look, look, look at my palace. Look at my treasures. But most of all, I think he was, look at me. Look at me. His heart was proud. I have a confession to make. I, was, I feel partly responsible for a burglary that took place in Southsea a few years ago. Um, it was actually our next-door neighbour's house that was broken into. Before you call the police, I wasn't directly involved. Um, but our, our neighbours, they had a habit of, um, of leaving their lights on downstairs and of not kind of making any attempt to, uh, to hide anything in the house. And you know, like most houses in South Street, you know, you, you walk along the, the, the path. You can, if you want to, you can look right in. And, and they would always leave their lights on. And uh, I remember on just a couple of weeks before they were burgled, walking past their front door and seeing in the hall, they had a laptop bag and a handbag just like right by the front door. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, that, that seems like to me like a bit of a kind of come and get it to a local thief. It doesn't keep me awake tonight, but I do regret not speaking to them about it because uh, about a week later, I had a knock on the door from the police saying, your neighbours have been broken into. Did you, uh, did you hear anything? Maybe the, the police referred them to that advice that the police often give. Keep it hidden keep it safe. Hezekiah certainly didn't keep it hidden, did he? <laughs> he showed the Babylonian representatives all of his treasures and in his pride, in his arrogance, he invited trouble on the people of Judah. With the wealth of the city made known to the Babylonians, Jerusalem wouldn't be a safe place. Hezekiah's pride came before the fall. It came before the fall of the city of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. When Isaiah goes to the king, ask him in verse 4, you know, who, 
Who's visited you? Like, oh, some people from Babylon. What did you show them? Everything. Isaiah says, everything will be taken. He announces that everything will be carried off to Babylon. Isaiah declares that an exile can't be avoided. And he goes on to say that the Babylonians, when they arrive, they're not just going to take off, they're not just going to take away all the treasures from the palace, they're going to take people away. Hezekiah's own descendants, he's told, will be taken to Babylon to serve another king. It, it will happen that the threatened exile cannot be avoided. However, at the end, verse 8, we're told that the exile will be delayed. It won't happen straight away. It didn't happen straight away. There's maybe a, a hundred-year gap before the, the exile that we read about elsewhere in the Old Testament happens. And, and the delay seems like good news for Hezekiah. He doesn't appear uh, that concerned for future generations, does he, in verse 8? Uh, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. Hezekiah maybe wasn't the perfect king that we thought of in the earlier chapters. And I think in some ways too, Hezekiah, he's a, he's a picture of the people of Judah. He's not perfect and they are not perfect. He, he's been told that he's going to die, but he's given a, a reprieve, a short reprieve by God's grace. The, the people of Judah, they've been given a reprieve. The Assyrians didn't attack them. The Babylonians aren't going to come straight away. They'll have to wait, but it is just a reprieve. The exile will come. Death and exile will most definitely arrive. As we finish, let me just quickly highlight three little ways of application. First of all, let me say, if you're a Christian here this morning, Let's learn from Hezekiah, let's learn from the city of Jerusalem that God isn't just to be trusted when life is hard, when the pressure is on. When there was no other option, when the fear was great, Hezekiah trusts wholeheartedly in the Lord. But he does feel that as when, the, when the pressure is off, when the, the threat of Assyria is removed, he doesn't quite trust in the same way. If life's relatively easy for you right now, I know it's not for many of us, but if it is for you, if you're feeling comfortable, can I say to you, make sure you don't stumble. Make sure you keep trusting and listening and looking to the Lord in the good times. John Oswald says in his commentary of Isaiah that we should learn from Isaiah that faith is not merely a magic talisman to be rubbed at critical moments or used only in a crisis. Trust in the Lord always. Secondly, let note that it's note that these chapters they really set us up for the, the second half of the book. We've seen that the first half of the book is all about the threat of Assyria. That's the context for so much of what is written. 
But from this point on, for the rest of our series, the, the threat's going to move to the, to the, the threat of, of Babylon. The focus is going to be on, the, on Babylon. And Isaiah's not just going to speak of uh, the exile. He's going to speak of that exile that's going to come, but he's going to speak of a wonderful return. And he's going to speak in the following chapters that ultimately God himself is going to break this pattern, this cycle of sin and judgment, sin and judgment. God's going to do something to break the pattern for good. That's going to be the, the main focus of the rest of the book. Thirdly and finally, let's go back to the question that I posed at the beginning. Should we expect to know only joy and gladness and a happily ever after experience before we reach that final home that Isaiah so often speaks of? Well, I think clearly the answer is no. I suspect for most of us, life has told us that already. We know that right now we don't live a life that is free of sorrow and sighing and tears. But more importantly, God's word makes that clear. It makes it clear that even those who trust in the Lord, even those who are devoted to him, should not expect a life that is free from all sorrow and sighing. We are still subject to sickness and death. We have an active enemy against us. We still battle with sin. Maybe particularly the sin of pride. We still struggle to trust in the Lord completely. There will be sorrow. There will be sighing. There will be tears. But not forever. And we've got, we've got more reason than the people of Isaiah's time to, to be confident that the happily ever after that Isaiah promised, <laughs> it will come to, it will arrive. Hezekiah wasn't the promised everlasting king from the line of David. But we know as Christians who was. <laughs> First chapter, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, you read of the lion, King David, look down at King David, oh, Hezekiah. Oh, Manasseh, where's he going to lead to? Where's it going? Where's this forever king? And we come to the Lord Jesus. And he is the perfect king. <laughs> He's the king who was, he was never proud, never came to the earth, says, it's all about me, everyone serve me. He's the king who came to serve. The king who we told made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. <laughs> Took on the nature of a servant. He, he's, the, he's the king who always trusted in the words of his father. Who always trusted. Who always obeyed. And Jesus is the king 
who was never subject to death. He didn't have to die. Look, look how he lived when he lived on the earth. He could, he could bring someone back to life just with, a, just with a word in an instant. Unlike all of us, unlike everyone else, he was not subject to death. But he chose to die. He chose to die for us, for our salvation. And he is the king who finally defeated the enemy of God's people. And so because of Jesus, whatever sighing, whatever tears, whatever sorrows we face now, we know that there is a happily ever after. What did we read? Isaiah 35, verse 9. No lion will be there, nor any reverendous beasts. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this these events that have been recorded for us, for our good, please help us to, to learn from them. They would help us uh, to trust in you, not just when life is difficult, not just when we feel that we can't cope, but help us to, to trust in you even when life is, is relatively easy. Help us to trust in you always. And help us also, to trust in you when life is, is hard. We, we know, we recognize that we live now with tears and with sorrows and with sighs, with sickness and death and sin. And maybe some of us are very aware of those things right now. Please, please help us and help us to, to support and, and love each other as we battle with those things. And we thank you most of all that the Lord Jesus has defeated those things. And that through him, through the Lord Jesus, the great King, there is a day coming where we will not be subject to them anymore. So help us to trust in him today and every day. Amen.